0: this morning, if you would, go ahead and uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 13, 2 Kings chapter 13, we're going to be looking at something there, Um, and we're going to see if we can learn anything from this little story in 2 Kings chapter 13. As you've heard before, the title of my sermon is Don't Give Up, and I, uh, I have two verses. Speak louder. Gotcha. I have two verses for you tonight, and that's the good news. The bad news is that half my lesson is going to be one, and half my lesson the other. So, But in 2 Kings, chapter 13, we start off in verse 14, just to give a little bit of background. We've got two characters who are meeting each other. One's name is Joash, the other's name is Elisha. You might have heard of Elisha. Joash, Uh, He's not such a great guy, but he's being pressed on every side by a foreign army, and he realizes that he soon is going to come to defeat. And so what he does is he goes, oh, I need help. And he runs to the dying prophet, Elisha. We'll pick up in verse 14. Elisha had become sick with the illness with which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. And so he took himself a bow and some arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. And Elisha Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Abek till you have destroyed them. And then he said, take the arrows. So he took them, and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck the ground three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria until you had destroyed it. Now you will strike Syria only three times. A couple of interesting things about this passage. Number one, as we explained before, or as I explained before, you can look back uh, at the first part of this chapter and learn exactly who Joash is. He's not a great guy. But when he's really pressed hard, Then he goes and he seeks out the prophet of God. Then he's looking for help from God. And what's the first thing that he says? What does he say to Elisha when he gets there? Right? Oh, Elisha, great prophet. Listen, Israel, your chosen people, your people, through whom you have promised to give something great. No. What does he say there? in verse 14. Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Boo-hoo, my army. You can see where his focus is. So Elisha, it's described in verse 14, he's sick. He's definitely sick. This is the sickness that will kill him. But he receives strength from the Lord. He gets up gives Joash some instructions. And so first, he says, take a bow and an arrow. And so they do that. And Elisha places his hands over the king's hands, instructs the eastern window to be open, and they shoot the arrow out of that window. And then Elisha describes what that arrow represents. That represents the delivery of the people in verse 17 I'm sorry the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria so a clear picture is given as to what this symbolism is and then Elisha continues and he says okay now take the arrows did he specify how many in here did he specify how many? no he just said take the arrows pretty much anyone in this room could figure out that if the prophet of God said, hey, you know, jump. You'd just keep jumping until the end of time until he had said stop. He says, take up the arrows. Wouldn't you pick up all the arrows? Okay. Then Elisha instructs him. All right. Strike the ground. And these arrows, you know, it's like, what do you think these represent? Of course, these represent the victory this king will enjoy in the future. How many times he will strike the Syrians? We find that out later on in the text, but it's really not hard to figure out. So the question for us is, man, if something like that were aligned with our lives, right? This is how many classes you're going to ace. This is how many business appointments are going to go so well you can't believe it, right? Or you know, this is how many times you're going to talk to people about Christ and be successful. Would you stop shooting? So, Josh shoots three. And we can infer from this passage that he had more because Elisha said, that wasn't all. He had more because Elisha says, why did you stop? And, like, we can play out in our minds all kind of... Scenarios. We can give all kind of reasons and all kind of excuses for why he might have stopped. I mean, you know, he's the king of Israel. He probably didn't travel alone. He probably had a band of men with him. Can you imagine how stupid that would look? Just sitting there, You're shooting your arrows into right the ground. It's dumb, embarrassing me in front of all my men. Or hey, I mean, what if we encounter an attacker on the way back? You know, we need absolutely everything that we've got. And so. I can't be damaging these arrows and this bow by doing this. Oh, or maybe the, oh, oh, Or here's a good one. Maybe the trick wore him out, and so three was all he could get, all he could do. We could come up with all kinds of excuses. We could go on and on, but the underlying reason why he stopped is really, really simple. He gave up. He had zero zeal, and he just gave up. he stopped. something that I can't stand at work, right? you probably experienced this yourself. It's when I've said to somebody to do something and come back later, and they've done half of it. Install that service disconnect. Walk away. Come back. Well, it's on the wall. Why didn't you hit the machine? Can imagine Elisha's frustration here. He said, "Take the arrows, drive them into the ground." And this guy stopped at three. We can see that. But when God says go, why do we stop? Well, I sure have done enough for God this week. Those three visits were enough. That, oh, I did. I did my three good deeds for this week. For good. Maybe we've done it all, right? We can imagine all that God's done for us, and maybe we finally level the score. Not sure we can do that. Maybe we, or maybe we'll look tired, or maybe we'll be tired. Maybe we'll look stupid in front of all of our friends doing it. Maybe I care more about the things of this world than just obeying God as best I can. Let's go to Hebrews 12. Let's go to Hebrews 12. I'm moving quick, I like this. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 read. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside each weight of the sin which so easily ensnares us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God thing I want to note here is that this is a call to action. I've heard it said, when you find it. therefore, the Bible will find out what it's there for. And most often these are the conclusion to a point made. In chapter 11, by faith, well, that's the whole theme of the chapter. Tom calls it the Hall of Faith. In chapter 11, by faith, insert a name, did blank. Faith is a seen action, it's not a felt emotion. Let me say that again. Faith is a seen action, it is not a felt emotion. So, what do we do since we know that we have all these great people, all these great influences that we can look back to in chapter 11? Since we know all those people exist, and that they did what they did by faith, what do we need to do? And he answers that question in verse 1 and 2. The first thing that he says for us to do is lay aside every weight and the sin, which so easily ensnares us. I find it interesting that that phrase, let us lay aside every weight, and then that's separated from the sin. In other words, the writer doesn't say, let us lay aside every weight, comma, the sin, inferring that the weight is the sin, the weight and sin are different. They're separate. Well, if something's not a sin, how can it, you know, how can it possibly be, like, a weight to us? Well, have you ever thought about the weight of sin? Have you ever heard about the phrase, "a heavy conscience? The conscience is weightless and can't be weighty, of course, but it sure feels like it can be sometimes. Have you ever experienced guilt from sin... And not the, by the way, not the, oh, I got caught, I'm sorry. But the true sorrow that comes along with that, and the guilt associated with that. The what have I done type of guilt. That guilt sticks with you for a while, doesn't it? And yeah, this, you know, it is what it is that weight, that thinking of the past things, we'll see why that is important as we continue. We're supposed to lay that aside. We're not supposed to be thinking about those things. The next thing he says is the sin which so easily ensnares us. In my mind, there are two possibilities when we're thinking about this concept. Number one is that sin that keeps popping up and rearing its ugly head. You thought you conquered that temptation. And Satan finds some way to kind of twist it and weasel it into your life, and now here we are back again in the same position we were before we repented of this. We stayed far away from that sin, but not quite far enough, or not quite so far as to completely eliminate it from our lives. Or a more basic way of thinking about it is sin is not hard to do. You know, uh, Tom has said this before. It's, Nobody goes, oh, man, you know, I'll see you on Saturday. Oh, gotta go sit again. Real hard. Doesn't work that way. (laughs) Regardless, we need to lay that aside. We had a brother, this was years and years back. Um, I think he's now worshiping somewhere up in Tennessee or Kentucky. I mean, I was, like, 12. 12. He he came up and he he came up and he confessed something that he had done. Um, and then, you know, of course we were very forgiving as, as commanded and everything. And everything seemed to be fine. And I think everybody else, you know, forgave in the true sense of the word that they forgave and then put it out of their their mind. They canceled that. It was gone. It didn't happen. They forgave. And then I think this brother, two Sundays later, was leading the Lord's table, and you know, he said, Oh, despite, you know, who I am and these things that I've admitted here in the past two weeks, you still have me out here. And he made some point about that. And even at that young age, I kind of thought back to this passage of like that stuff will only hold you back. That guilt that you have for that sin will only hold you back. I don't mean to sound brash, but if you've been forgiven, you've asked forgiveness, and you've received it from other people and God, get over it. Move on. Because there's a race to be run. The next important part in verse 1 is he continues on and says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, by the way, just as a point to tie into this, when you're running along in a race and you lay something aside, do you think you're going to see that again? Unless you're on a circular track. (laughs) (laughs) No. You don't go back and you retrieve that. You keep running, you keep going, you leave it behind you. It doesn't magically appear back in your hand. When you keep running, you lay it aside, and it becomes more and more and more distant. So you can't see it anymore. Also notice, you know, the type of race that this is. When I think of a race, you know, I think of keeping it on the pins. I think of full problem, no holes barred, you know, going for it. Uh, that's, not so much, that's not so much that's being talked about here. This is method. This is taking deliberate steps to remain on course without tiring. Run with endurance the race set before you. I got a question for you? If you trip and fall in a race and nothing's hurt you, you've just tripped and fallen, and here you are on all fours looking around. You just kind of lay down and curl up, and move. yep, this is the end. No, I'm done running. Or you get back up and you keep going. You keep running. And it seems that sometimes we get into that position and we stay there. Instead of getting up and continuing on with the race. And then what are we supposed to be doing this whole time? This whole time this race is going on. Verse 2. How are we supposed to be running? With endurance and Looking to Jesus, the Author and Finisher of our faith. You know, we have this uh, we have this employee at work. His name is Tommy, and uh, and the kids like this kid's. You know, he's he's like a space kid, man. And no, I don't mean like he's really smart. He's an astronaut. I mean, like Earth, Tommy. Hello, come in. To get him to perform, you really need to like dial him in and focus him. Um, and sometimes you have to take matters into your own hands, like literally. Once I remember, we were stood outside somewhere and we were looking at something up on a house, and I was like, "Yeah, that thing right there, that needs to be fixed. We need to take care of that before we get out of here." And I could see his gaze; he was looking over there and down that way. It's like... He's like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'm like, no, that, or do you see that? And he just kept. And so I literally took his head between my hands and redirected his gaze. I feel like that's sometimes what we need to do as brothers and sisters for each other. When we fail to look to Christ. No, and I've had brothers and sisters that have pointed me to passages and done certain things that have realigned me. I'm so thankful for that. So, should our focus be on the things that we did or the things that he did? It shouldn't be what our Christ did for us. It shouldn't be about what we did in the past. So, What is the general theme of this passage then? I would argue that, much like the point being driven in the other passage, excuse the pun, that the point here is much the same, you don't give up, and when God says to do something, unless he says stop, you better keep going, don't give up. And so then that leaves us with a question tonight, which is have you even started your race yet? If you are a Christian, this race is talking about you're not you're not even in the ranks. You're not even you're not even running. You're standing on the sidelines. But what if you are a Christian? And you are in this race, but Maybe something's happened, something caught your foot, and you are falling. We can help you with that as well. We can all help you up tonight with that as well. So if you need that to be addressed, then we would ask that you would come forward as we stand and sing.